Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Father Andrew Mattingly. I am a Catholic priest in Kansas City, Missouri, and this is a podcast where I post homilies and random other stuff that I might teach or speak about. Hope you find something useful and maybe even inspiring. God bless you. Well, happy Feast of Divine Mercy to all of you. Uh, always talking to Father Johnson about this last night. I always feel a little bit of uh, pressure, you know. It's sort of like the biggest, <laughs> the biggest feast day of the whole year in, in a parish. Um, Want to be able, in the words I offer this morning, to glorify God and, and hopefully give you some indication of the beauty of, of this day, the beauty of God's mercy. Um, I was thinking about what to talk about on this feast day and there's a number of things came to mind could talk about the mercy of god in confession um, could talk about just sort of the nature of of mercy itself um, a variety of other things but but what really ended up sticking out to me um, was actually speaking a bit about the nature of trust so you might say that the divine mercy message has sort of if it's like a coin with two sides, one side is God's activity towards us, which is mercy, right? And then on the other side of the coin is our response to that, which is trust. Right? Jesus asked St. Faustina when she had the image of divine mercy painted to have the words inscribed at the bottom, Jesus, I trust in you. We see the image of Jesus sort of pouring out his mercy through the blood and water in his side. And then beneath that, you have what we need to do, which is, which is trust him, <laughs> to trust him and, and to trust his, his mercy. It's interesting, for those of you who've read the diary, you may recall that one of the things our Lord repeats constantly to St. Faustina is how much it pains his heart when we don't trust him. In fact, he tells her on many occasions that that is actually the worst kind of pain that he experiences is when a soul does not trust him. Worse than all the other sins we could commit, that's, that's the thing that hurts him the most when, when, we, don't, when we don't trust him. He, he told her at one point, how much I'm hurt by a soul's distrust such a soul professes that I am holy and just, but does not believe that I am mercy and does not trust in my goodness. Even the devils glorify my justice, but do not believe in my, in my goodness. And then he tells her again, My child, all your sins have not wounded my heart as painfully as your present lack of trust does that after so many efforts of my love and mercy, you should still doubt my goodness. Right? Why is a lack of trust so painful to our Lord? Why does he say that this is the worst pain that, that he experiences? I think part of it is because a lack of trust was at the root of our first parents' sin, Adam and Eve. But really, a lack of trust in God is at the root of every sin. It is the deepest root of every sin. When you boil down any sin you commit, from the biggest to the smallest, if you keep drilling to, okay, why did I do that? Why, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why did I do that? Eventually, you will arrive 
at the fact that because I did not trust that God is good and that if I follow his will, I'll be happy. I didn't trust that. I didn't trust that, that he's good. The Catechism describes the first fall of our parents in this light. He says, man tempted by the devil, let his trust in his creator die in his heart. Tragic words. Let his trust in his creator die in his heart. And abusing his freedom, disobey God's command. He said, all subsequent sin would be disobedience toward God and a lack of trust in his goodness. All sin is a lack of trust in, in God's goodness. All right. Recall those two quotes I just read you a second ago from St. Faustina. She makes explicit reference, but she doesn't, the Lord does to her, that what is it that we're, we're not trusting? We're not trusting that God is good, that he, that he wants what's best for us. He tells Faustina, these souls do not trust in my goodness. He says again to her specifically, after so many efforts of my love and mercy, you still doubt my goodness. Right? When we don't trust God, it all has to do with not believing in His goodness. Those of you who are parents, I'll give you a little anecdote here, hopefully to, to help wrap your head a little bit more around why this is the most painful thing for our Lord to experience. Um, those of you who are parents, imagine you know, a scenario this is going to sound a lot like the parable of the prodigal son, but imagine a scenario where you have two sons. One son leaves home at 18, and he goes the way of the world. He gets himself involved in every sort of vice and quits practicing the faith and so on and so forth. And, and by the time he's 28, he's hit rock bottom. And he comes to you, his parents, and eventually just because he's at rock bottom, he just pours out his heart. And, and tells you where he's at and says that, you know, he wants to change, right? Now, he's caused a lot of damage in 10 years. But contrast that with a son who, at 18 years old, leaves home, gets involved in far less vice, but maybe six to eight years later, he's in his mid-20s, he starts sort of slowly kind of cutting himself off from you as his parents, um, and even though his sins are not as great as his brother, he begins to really doubt that if he were to come back to you and just sort of apologize and pour everything out, he doubts that you would really, you know, pardon him sincerely. Right? He, he, he doubts that you would, you'd really want to fully take him back, so to speak. Right? He's, done some bad, he's done some bad stuff. He's, he's insulted you as his parents and... And he, he's done some things that aren't great. But he slowly drifts away because he thinks to himself, ah, oh, if I go back to my parents, like, they won't, like, I don't think they'll really receive me. Right, which of those, <laughs> which of those sons causes you more pain as a parent? Obviously, it's the second one. Right, the first one may have caused more sort of in-your-face damage, if you will. But eventually, he, he came to you and and he, he, he laid it all on the table, right? And as his parents, you were absolutely delighted to just take him back. But the second one, who just continues drifting farther and farther away because he doesn't believe that you're good enough to pardon him when he, when he comes and, and owns up to his sins, 
That would be profoundly painful as a parent. Some of you perhaps have experienced that. I don't know. That would be profoundly painful. This is why Jesus tells St. Faustina that it pains him more than anything else. We don't trust his goodness. We don't trust his, his goodness. We say, no, my sins are too big for you, Lord. I don't trust that you're powerful enough to forgive them. or I don't trust that you want to forgive them. Or, you know, all these, all these different things. They just all point to a lack of trust in his goodness. Well, this brings us to the question of why should we trust Jesus of Nazareth. Why should we why should we trust him in the first place? Um, what has he done to prove his goodness to us? You only trust people that have really proven their goodness, right? Proven that they want good things for you. Well, what is what has Jesus done to prove his his goodness to us? Right? Some things are obvious. The, and and with these things it's very easy to trust the Lord. Okay. He created me out of nothing. He's given me some good family and some friends and, you know, material sustenance and all these things. Okay, it's easy to trust Him there. But typically, where do we get hung up? We get hung up in suffering. Right? We suffer in some way. We say, how is this compatible with a good God? And then our trust begins to diminish and diminish and diminish. If, if we're not careful. Suffering is the litmus test for really discovering whether we trust Jesus or not. How does he prove his goodness to us while still allowing us to suffer? The answer that Jesus gives to suffering and how he is still good even while allowing that to happen is probably not the answer to suffering that most of us want, right? Most of us, what solution do we want to suffering when it's in our life, the life of someone we love, the suffering that we see every day out in the world? What kind of solution do we want for that suffering? For most of us, we want a quick fix. Just partly it's a symptom of our society, but partly it's human nature. We want a quick fix, right? The way that we want God to solve the problem of suffering is to sort of stand back aloof from the suffering, so kind of wave a magic wand sort of and just make it go away. Usually when we're in the midst of suffering ourselves, that's kind of what our prayer is to God. Like, Lord, make it go away. Just wave your divine wand, snap your fingers, make it, make it vanish. That's, that's the kind of solution that we want to suffering. Fortunately for us, Jesus came to provide a solution to suffering that is far more beautiful and profound than that. The unfortunate part of his solution to suffering, though, is that typically we do not have the eyes to, to see it. It's so beautiful, it's so striking, in fact, that, that we're just not able to, to really grasp how it's a solution. I'm going to try and lay this out for you, and, and this is risky because I've never used this analogy before, but I'm going to try and lay this out for you in an analogy so you can kind of hopefully grasp on just a little bit more to the, the beauty of Jesus' solution to suffering. And this is critical again. If we are to trust Him, we have to learn how to trust Him even in the midst of suffering. So imagine, an, another, imagine like another planet somewhere that's very similar to ours, 
And this planet is sort of, there's some sort of chemical that's gotten literally into everything and the planet is very, it's very sick. The soil is polluted, it's toxic, it's noxious. It's gotten into the trees, the water supply, the oceans and so on. People starting to die. Everybody thinks it's the end of the world. There are two possible solutions to, to healing this, this chemical that's gotten into everything. One, there could be, as I described, some sort of quick fix where you know, there, God waves this divine wand and uh, it's gone, poof, you know, there it is. Or this other solution where one brave soul has to dive into the deepest part of the earth on his own. He has to find the deepest ocean, the deepest trench in that ocean. Once he gets into the bottom of that trench, he has to drill a hole. Presumably he has technology to do all this. <laughs> he has to drill this hole all the way down to the center of the earth. And once he's there, he has this device that can sort of suck up all of the toxic chemical from the whole planet. It condenses it so tightly that it's in the form of a little pill. And then the only way to make sure that this toxin never gets released again is that he has to swallow it himself. After swallowing it, he has to undergo 12 hours of excruciating pain of the worst kind and, and eventually it kills him, right? That's the second <laughs> possible solution to healing the tragedy of this toxin that's infected this, this whole planet, right? After it's all over, then, then the world is, is free of it. I'm sure it would be easy for you and I to recognize the goodness of, of this man. The goodness of this man, right? After he made this sacrifice, awards would be named after him. The day that he died would be commemorated. Children would be named after him. So on and so forth. He, he is clearly a good man. Clearly a good man. Right? God's answer to suffering to sin and to death is similar to what I just described. It's not a quick fix. It's not a quick fix. When we say that Jesus conquered death, right, that he is victorious over sin and death and suffering, how did that happen? Right? Did he wave a magic wand or snap his fingers? No. Did he duke it out? in some sort of spiritual death match with death and, and sin and suffering. Sort of 50 feet away, he's kind of like firing bullets at, at death and sin until it's defeated. Is that, is that how he conquered sin and death? No. How did he do it? He actually let himself be conquered. He let sin wash over the entirety of, of himself. He let death, like a wave, just drown him. He gave himself up, actually, to those things. Right? St. Peter says that he, he bore our sins in his body. He was not detached from these things as he conquered them. He actually let himself be conquered by them. And we know the rest of the story, right? Eight days ago, when he had let himself be overwhelmed by these things, he, he rose victorious, right? This little light that just began to grow and grow and grow and grow, right?
So now we're kind of back to our, our question. What is God's solution to suffering? What is Jesus' solution to suffering? Because this is the hardest place for us to trust Him. We can trust Him in all the other areas where He obviously gives us good things. It comes to suffering, Jesus, I don't know if I can trust you. I don't know if I can trust you. What is His solution? His solution is not to snap His fingers and just make our suffering vanish. That's what we want. But he has something a lot better than that. He actually, if we trust him, if we don't trust him in suffering, this, we will, you will never have this experience. If you trust him in suffering, you will have an experience where he comes in to the deepest, darkest place of your suffering, the most difficult place where you're in pain. He comes into that spot like a sponge, he sucks up all the pain in himself like he did on Calvary. He, he bears it in his body with you. And then if you continue to trust him even at that point, he will resurrect it. He will turn that suffering into something more beautiful than you could have possibly ever imagined. But most of us don't trust him enough. Most of us do not trust him enough for that to actually run its full course. If we do, over time, you will begin to experience what you read about in the lives of the saints where they actually developed, sounds strange, a thirst for suffering. Right? They've trusted Jesus in all these other areas of their life where it's easy to trust Him. But when they've let their trust fully expand even into the darkest places, even to the places of deepest pain, and He redeems even that, they find a resurrection there, they find new life, it blows them away and they actually begin to long for suffering. Not for its own sake, but because of what they've seen Jesus do with it. It's not sadomasochism or something. It's seeing how, the Lord, how powerful the Lord is that He can transform even that. But most of us don't trust Him enough. Most of us in suffering we say, Lord, take it away, get rid of it. Instead of inviting Him in to take it upon Himself and, 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 and to restore it, to resurrect it. Right? He seeks, he seeks us out to ingest within himself our suffering and, and our pain. Right? And our, our proof of that is, is when he did that on the cross. If, if, that isn't, if that doesn't convince you of his goodness, like we don't, we don't even have the tiniest, most infinitesimally small speck of understanding of what he went through and his passion and death. What he took into himself. We have no idea. If we did, you would trust him with everything in your life, 100% beginning five seconds from now. If, if, you, if you actually understood what he took upon himself. I just, I really want to convey that to you. This day when we celebrate divine mercy and Jesus begs, begs us to trust him. To, to really think about what he did, what he took upon himself, and that it proves his goodness. It 
It proves how good he is. Those of you here have a whole range of pain and suffering that you're going through right now. Some of you, the worst suffering in your life was 30 years in the past. Some of you, it's going to be 30 years from now. Some of you, it's five years ago. Some of you, it's happening. Whenever it happened, whatever it was, trust Jesus in that place. Trust Him in that place. Don't try and figure it out yourself. He wants to, he wants to come into your heart to take that pain, to consume it, and, and to produce something, something new. Jesus told St. Faustina, the graces of my mercy are drawn by means of one vessel only, and that is trust. The more a soul trusts, the more it will receive.